Hello and welcome to the Welsh Music Podcast. I'm James. I'm Neil. How's it going, mate? Very good, yeah. Another good episode in the bag. Um, one of my favourite bands of all time, probably my top ten. Um, brilliant debut album as well. A lot of great debut albums we explore, uh, but uh, this is certainly another one. Yeah, Super Furry Animals, probably the, the band that I've seen the most uh, in total. And Sue was a great guest, really passionate about music that come across and of the Super Furry Animals and, and, and the album itself as well. Yeah, um, Sue has said to us in the past that she's never happier than when she's talking music and yeah, that certainly comes across in this episode and anyone who follows her on social media can see, you know, she's always talking about nostalgia and music and top of the pops from back in the day and that sort of thing. So yeah, great guest, really good conversation we had. And like we said with uh, Rhys Moyne, another great uh, guest last week, but another supporter of the podcast from, from, from day one really, she gave us a plug on her, well, the radio show that she was covering for Lisa Gwillem on Radio Wales, um, which we mentioned in the podcast. So, yeah, great to get uh, Sue on and, uh, yeah, to talk Super Furry Animals. And we've got lots more Super Furry Animals uh, topics to cover over the next coming weeks. We've got um, Rings Around the World coming up, a classic album from 2001. Um, I think bef- I think John Rostrum, I said in his episode, before Kate Le Bon was nominated for Mercury Prize, I think that was the last Welsh act to be nominated yeah. for Mercury, yeah. So we've got that, and we've got Phantom Power as well, another brilliant album. So, yeah, if you're a Super Furries fan, make sure um, you subscribe and, yeah, get to hear it first. And uh, the 20th anniversary of Mung, seminal Welsh language albums coming up in, in May, so we want to cover that in a, in another special episode like we did with the Manic Millennium, so talking to a few people, key contributors to the making of the album, more of a probably documentary style if possible. Yeah, absolutely, and um, uh, we're just saying that uh, we're 10 episodes in now, apart from our specials, so just let us know what you like, what you don't like, you know, what you think works, what we can add into it. Um, keep your songs coming in at the end for the end, so we've been in and date with them. And um, yeah, we're really starting to see it sort of take off now, um, particularly the last couple of episodes of Reese Moyne and um, Ellis James done brilliantly. Yeah, so I think, yeah, Ellis was the most popular episode so far. Sorry, Dave, hashtag friend of the pod, but, you know, we're getting back on at some point, probably in the Mung. Yeah. Yeah, he's still got an impressive three caps on the yeah definitely so yeah thank you ever so much for downloading and uh, please keep sharing and rating and subscribing and all those things Jockam Rando so Sue thank you ever so much for joining us today on the Welsh Music Podcast we really appreciate it pleasure and for being such a generous supporter of the Welsh Music Podcast ever since we started you give us our first plug when you were standing in for Lisa Gwillim and you give us a, a track on, on air as well oh yes on uh, Radio Wales we were doing I think we were doing autumn songs songs right. that remind you of autumn and you guys came up with the Manics well Neil yeah, yeah. No, no guessing there really. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so Sue, I'm born and brought up in uh, Clandridon, Wells, and studied at Aberystwyth University. Was music a big part of your childhood? It was a, a huge part of my childhood. I think when you grow up in a small town like Clandridon, there isn't much going on for young people. And so um, I had three older brothers, all of whom uh, loved music. My mum loved music. So I was exposed to uh, pop music from a, a really early age. So wherever you went in our house, where, you know, one room would have uh, reggae and ska, another would have indie pop, another would have disco and uh, my mum actually loved Dave Edmonds so I think probably my, my first awareness of Welsh music was uh, my mum playing the best of Dave Edmonds over and over <laughs> in Rockpile, it was Queen of Hearts I uh, Hear You Knocking, Girls Talk, all of those great songs So were you the type of kid that um, taped the top 40 and religiously watched Top of the Pops? Yes, pretty much every week. Uh, my, my brothers and I you all used to have diaries and, and so in it every week we would write who was number one that week and what Wolves' score was in the, fo- 
football because that was our our chosen team and so uh, yes it was and, and also as well we we had because there were four of us we were always we were allowed to have one magazine each so between us we had NME Melody Maker Record Mirror and Smash Hits and we all used to read each other's so we were um quite well read about 80s pop music I couldn't get away from it I was named after a pop song my mum was a huge fan of the Everly Brothers so I was named uh, after Wake Up Little Susie yeah. and you took a holiday job with Radio Wyvern and um, was that when you caught the broadcasting bug it was yes so uh, I, I think when when my um, brothers became a bit older and uh, they went to university I used to go to uh, to Sheffield Bath Leicester and we used to go and watch uh, live music and we always listened to the radio growing up and so I was really aware that I was I'd love to do something with music or with radio so when I was a teenager I used to listen to uh, John Peel Janice Long used to love it when John Peel would play acts like Far Coffee Pow. Yeah. And so I, I knew that um, I'd love to do something uh, to do with radio. And then our, our local radio station growing up uh, on the borders uh, was based in Hereford, Radio Wyvern. And uh, I think it was the summer of 1991. They, um, they put an appeal out for teenagers to come in and get involved in a programme called Street Cred. Trendy name. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a, a teenagers invited to come along Long, talk about your favourite music, talk about matters uh, that, that bothered teenagers in the early 90s. And uh, I went along and did that. And uh, they invited me back and, g- and gave me a Saturday job. Did um, you have much freedom to play what you wanted or did you have to stick to like sort of rigid playlist? Uh, they, they, yeah, it was playlist. It was um, uh, rock, pop, and soul for Hereford and Worcestershire <laughs> was the uh, was the tagline. So, it, but but what was great was I got to listen to to music all day, and so I had a Saturday job there. I used to run the little shop and studio in uh, Hereford, and uh, and occasionally they would get pop stars coming through. So I remember one time. David Essex coming in and them saying, oh, would you mind setting up the studio for David Essex? And oh. as a 17-year-old as a kid, yeah. I was, this is, can I get paid to do this? Because this, this would be the best job in the world. And also as well, a local radio station used to sponsor gigs um, at the local leisure centre. So um, we used to get to see... Um, you know, acts who were, who were popular on the station. So Frankie Valley, um, Edwin Starr, the Everly Brothers. And in fact, they had a gig with Edwin Starr at a place called Wormelow Tump, okay. which is on the Herefordshire border, just outside hay on right. So middle of nowhere, they got Edwin Starr. And uh, he got, um, it was his big hit, was War. And he got the girls to join him on stage and sing, What Is It Good For? And the guys to sing, absolutely nothing at a pretty young age i suddenly got a lot of um uh, a lot of music influences by this radio station and i just thought oh this this is what i want to do this is great and then um radio Maldwin in newtown a little bit after that great time for welsh music mid 90s any memorable moments from your oh, time there? Fantastic time. He's a, yeah, so I went to uh, university in Aberystwyth um, before going to, to Radio Maldwin and uh, uh, you were really aware that bands didn't um, didn't come to those far-fung places. We, we maybe had China Crisis, Mike Flowers Pops, we, but I was there sort of early to mid-90s, the Britpop era, Blur Oasis were really happening. They never came anywhere near Aberystwyth. <laughs> then, uh, then I went to, I got lucky then, my first sort of proper paid job, full-time job in radio I was a news journalist at Radio Maldwin and used to do a, a music show it's a little independent local station in the mid 90s um, run on a lot of goodwill as well but uh, just a fantastic time to be working in radio because uh, you you had all the great 
Britpop bands and a lot of these bands were coming in and as, as a teenager to see these or as a 20 something to see these bands coming in and being interviewed and, and you loved music it was great you'd yeah. get CDs your way the odd gig and we had something called the Welsh Playlist it was part of the remit of the radio station you know yeah. we, we had to play a certain amount of Welsh music mid 90s uh, super furry animals yeah. Gorkies, and so suddenly I became aware of uh, things like Sweet Catatonia, You Got a Lot to Answer For, um, Gorky's Patio Song, yeah, yeah. Super Fairy's first album, because Manics were already established yes. by then. So it was, a, it was a great time to be working in, in pop radio in Wales. You mentioned that um, bands didn't come as far as Aberystwyth, but in Newtown, a lot of Welsh bands. It was, it was. It was the first time that I'd really encountered that, because from loving music as a kid, but it feeling like it was part of another world, suddenly I felt like I was... Uh, where something was happening because uh, V2 Records I think the first signing Stereophonics yeah. they did a big tour of all the local radio stations so they came into to ours as well uh, Radio Maldwin they were uh, pushing um, Word Gets Around so it was really exciting to see these new bands who, who you, you felt you were on the precipice of something you felt that they were going to make it big um, Super Furries as well I seem to remember we, we did them we interviewed them down the line over the phone but uh, I do remember I was the, uh, I used to do a, a request show there, but I was also a, a news journalist. And I remember having to cover stories about the Super Fairies because uh, Bump got um, arrested. I think it was in Newtown itself. <laughs> I think it was possession of cocaine in oh. his car. I think that, I seem to remember they were driving back to, Super Fairies had done some gigs somewhere and driving back to North Wales and uh, just happened to be stopped in, in Newtown. And, uh, and suddenly I was having to write up these stories about <laughs> bands we were, we, we, we were covering at the time. It was, um, it was, just, it, it was a slightly surreal time, but, but, a, but a, a great era to be, working within yeah, the, the Welsh music scene. That's certainly a bit different to their usual sort of front pages, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, right, so uh, from there, you um, started your BBC scholarship at the same time as doing your postgraduate diploma um, at the Centre for Journalism Studies in Cardiff, uh, which is a really sort of revered course. Um, did you have any well-known classmates? Yes, actually, it is a, it is a really well, well, well-renowned well course because you used to have people like Hugh Edwards has been through there. Yeah. Um, gosh, so many. <laughs> Jason Mohammed. Oh, my, in my year, uh, we had Martin Lewis, still good friends actually, and Manish Basin, who uh, regularly presents um, football on TV. In fact, we had a reunion last year for our, I think it was our 20th anniversary on the course and recently went to Martin Lewis's um, birthday party. Oh, okay. So we're all really good mates from that year. And, uh, and we used to go to, to gigs together. So I remember going to see um, uh, Super Furries with some guys from the course. I think it was at uh, the Students' Union. And then you moved to BBC Radio Wales. Yes, it was a great time actually because a lot of people came out of the journalism school and um, there were jobs aplenty. It was an era when um, the BBC was starting up uh, uh, BBC News 24, digital radio was, was, was starting. So it, it felt like the land of milk and honey compared to today for young journalism students. So I, I went into BBC Wales, worked for Radio Wales and uh, Wales Today. Uh, my favourite area, of course, was pop music. And it was the time of Cool Cymru. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you like the label, it, it gave bands a platform, Stereophonics, more of a stadium. Yeah, yeah. Gorky's, they um, did a couple of telepackages with them. 
Catatonia, Margam Park, the um, Manic Millennium, yeah. of course, which was fabulous. Can't believe it's been twenty years. To be honest, I, I was at the Stereophonics gig in, in Morva. Didn't go to the Manic Millennium gig. Didn't go to Margam Park. But um, just remember that time was amazing. It was. I went to art college for a year. Then went to university and going to university with you know Welsh flag draped around my shoulders. <laughs> yes. Um, with all of these bands that people had heard of, and it was it's a great time to be Welsh outside of Wales as well as in Wales. And I could never remember a time in my life up until then when you could feel so proud to be to yeah. be Welsh. Suddenly had a strong identity. We'd uh, had devolution, the setting up of the yeah. assembly. There was a tangible sense that something was happening. Yeah, definitely. And uh, from there, you uh, went to BBC Radio 1 and 2. So as a, such a huge music fan, you must have been pinching yourself. It, it was fabulous, yes. Probably, uh, I just applied for a job at um, Radio... Uh, I applied for one at Radio 5 first as a music journalist, which I, I didn't get, and then um, applied for one shortly afterwards uh, for Radio 1. Uh, and I'd, I'd phoned up and said, where did I go wrong with the interview? They told me, and I thought, right, don't do that for the next interview. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, t- turned up, I was lucky I got, I got the job. And um, the job was basically just to interview pop stars, I just thought, wow, That's a dream job. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're you're, joking, you're going to pay me to interview pop stars. I can't think of anything better. So, I worked for the entertainment news team uh, within Radio One Newsbeat. Uh, we used to do um, it, it was um, a feature called the Net, which instantly ages <laughs> it. So we used to do uh, uh, music packages for Newsbeat when the Manix were in Cuba, um, for Joe Wiley's show, for Chris Moyles' show. And uh, also used to do um, music news for Steve Wright on Radio 2 and for Janice Long as well. So we, uh, we, we had a team of us. We basically went out, interviewed pop stars, tried to create um, music news then that would go out on Radio 1 and 2. And for the very early days of six music and one extra. Ah, okay. When I was at the Sunday Times, they used to give me all of the Welsh jobs. So I did <laughs> yes. Tom Jones, Charlotte Church. <laughs> yeah. Anytime there was a Welsh person, it was like, get the Welsh boy in. Was that the same with you? Did they give you like all of the Welsh jobs? I did. I did get most of those actually. Uh, so, so yes. So while I was there, I interviewed um, Stereophonics a few times, Mannix, Super Furries and, and Catatonia. In fact, I think probably one of Catatonia's last interviews because I'd, I'd interviewed them when they were probably at the height of their fame when they did the Margam Park gig. Yeah. International Velvet, those singles, Mulder and Scarly Road Rage. But I think it would have been about 2001. I think the album was Paper Scissors. Stone. Paper Scissors Stone. The yeah. single Stone by yeah. Stone. Yeah, yeah. You had a sense of um, a band that were not entirely happy. And then I think it was shortly after that that they split up. Yeah. Cancelled the tour. And um, sorry to bring her up, Sue, but you, you did have another infamous interview with Catatonia. Can you talk through that? Oh, yes. So um, it would have been 99. Again, it was one I'd offered to cover. I went to my boss and said, please let me go <laughs> cover Catatonia at Margan Park. He was, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so um, uh, so I turned um, turned up there with a cameraman and um, uh, we'd agreed to, um, I think it was being filmed for later with Jules Holland. And so we'd agreed that they would allow us to use some of their footage. So um, I was interviewing the band beforehand. Uh, there, were, there was a great sense of um, of Catatonia being the real band of the moment. It was a, a it was a bank holiday weekend. It was a really muddy Margam Park, and I was just doing a, a piece to camera, saying, "Isn't this funny? You know, it's like Glastonbury, all the mud." 
and um, and a guy came and rugby tackled me and um, uh, landed in this uh, this pile of mud. The cameraman and the sound man were laughing, um, but uh, I, I remember taking the material back to to work and and the boss loved it because they they were all watching it back and laughing and uh, and and he said, "Fair play to you. You held the microphone up, <laughs> so you you had respect for our equipment. Yeah. So uh, uh, it was purely coincidental. But um, then later that evening after the gig, I had to go to the um, later with Jules' team to get the material. I turned up this girl covered head to toe in mud oh. I think they thought I was taking the mic yeah. who's, who's this I kid you know? <laughs> yeah pull the other one yeah. you know? when um, we were talking last night you said about um one memorable interview, I think, at V Festival with Ian Brown, when you were chasing after Rizzy on, like, oh, yes. on a bike or something. Yes, a lot of the jobs we had to do was to go to festivals and uh, and interview whoever was there. So um, backstage at the V Festival, I'd, I had a, a schedule of who, who I was going to interview and I'd been lucky to, to arrange 10 minutes with Ian Brown. It was, uh, I think it was when Fear was out. So yes. he yeah. Was, yeah, he was on the bike in the video, so, actually. When it yeah, of course. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was backstage at the V Festival uh, up in Stafford cycling around on this chopper bike I was trying to get hold of him for an interview <laughs> so one more go one more go oh, no I can't do the accent but um, uh, his and his promoter was getting really angry with him because uh, luckily for us um, to turn up with with your radio one mic uh, you know people were, were were always willing to do a radio one interview mm. and so it was as good for them as it, as it was for us and uh, i just remember having maybe about three minutes with ian brown a couple of quick questions he's on the stage <laughs> <laughs> would kylie be your biggest interview do you think i think kylie what probably was one of the biggest one of the most memorable because i wasn't naturally a fan of kylie's music appreciated that she was a great pop star who really deserved to be where she was but um, I got to interview Kylie uh, the morning after Can't Get You Out of My Head got to oh, number yeah. one so they'd had a big party the night before Kylie came into Radio One and uh, you know they were all a bit worse for wear uh, and um, I remember Kylie uh, walking up the stairs with us she, did, she didn't want to do the lifts uh, making her a peppermint tea sitting in the um, in the Newsbeat studio and uh, it was it was like a goldfish bowl and I just happened I just happened to have been the person on shift that day who was interviewing Kylie and they were, I remember chatting with Kylie from from one side of the desk and behind her she couldn't see all the guys from Newsbeat <laughs> with their faces against the window for a glimpse of Kylie and she was this beautiful incredibly professional young woman and uh, and I remember at the end of, end of the interview we were it was a time when um yeah, of course, everything's on the internet now, but uh, we were starting to take uh, um, digital photos to put up with the, the stories and, and Kylie didn't want her photo taken because she had a bit of a cold and been partying the <laughs> night before. And I got an awareness of um, for these stars. It was, it was an awareness of how she had, a, a, there was a perception of Kylie and, and a, a struggle for women that, they had to look good at all yeah. times and she didn't want to be papped, um, uh, you know, not, not looking her best, which uh, then uh, me, myself, sort of years later working in television, I, I have a, a sympathy for that. Kylie um, obviously got a bit of a Welsh heritage as well, <laughs> Meisteg, I believe. The Meisteg Yeah, I remember I used to work at um, Media Wales, Wales Online. 
and we had a term called was Welsh and it was anybody <laughs> with uh, a Welsh sort of background we we, we take they, they, they dug out them. Paul Weller a couple of years ago yeah. so like yes. you couldn't get a more London or Woking accent I suppose well, now Dave Owens was on the pod with yeah. you and he did a, a big thing about um, Paul Weller's Aberdeer connection yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, yeah I think he went as far as saying Elvis because of the Priscelli Mountains and the that's Priscilla. where his name his name, name Priscelli Mountains so far as I remember there was only one even UK Elvis connection did I think he did a stopover at was it Prestwick Airport in Scotland oh, okay. I think he was I think he, he was famously in the UK for, for a couple a of hours or something <laughs> but, uh, and um, talking of um, massive stars with uh, links to Wales uh, you interviewed uh, Niall Rogers from Chic at Festival Number no. 6 in Port Marion um, and he lived in Colwyn Bay he told you in the early 70s I believe he did, yes. Uh, that that was a, a really surprising one. So this was um, uh, in in recent years. I, I'd go along to uh, festival number six, and again, an interview who, whoever was there just to do um, packages for Radio Wales, uh, and interviewed the, the Mannix there, and interviewed um, uh, quite quite a few acts. And I just I was a massive, still am massive Noel Rogers fan, massive Chic fan. Um, and uh, and I I just thought I emailed I just kept emailing the promoters any chance any chance uh, no luck and then they e- emailed me on the day and said okay right you've got um, ten minutes with Niall after the gig um, so during his last couple of songs come backstage and uh, as soon as he comes off stage we'll, we'll, you can have a little chat with him and I thought fantastic and then um, his last song on stage whenever you see Chic now they always do good times and they have a stage rush with um, fans to dance on the stage and so I could see this queue of people and I thought if I join that queue <laughs> there's a chance I could dance on stage with Noel Rogers <laughs> and, the, and the, the, rain, the kind of the naughty child kicked in and I thought, what, what's the worst that could happen? Joined the queue, um, got to dance on stage with Niall, oh, wow. looking out over 10,000 music fans thinking, I can see why pop stars yes. love this. this. This must be the greatest feeling in the world. Adulation from, uh, from all of these people. So came off stage on an absolute high and then got to have a, a chat with Niall. And he was um, he was one of those stars who uh, you could meet your heroes because he was um, the most uh, gracious guy and I'd read his autobiography uh, and, and asked all the obvious questions about Sheik, who he'd worked with uh, and then um, I just asked at the end, have you ever been to Wales before? Um, and uh, not, not expecting the answer that I got but he said, uh, yes, funnily enough, I used to uh, I used to work in um, in a jazz band in Colwyn Bay, Col- Colwyn, <laughs> Colwyn, Colwyn Bay, in the in the seventies. Uh, so before um, uh, she before he joined Chic, he was with a band called New York City. They were called. They, did, they had a song called "I'm Doing Fine Now," and um, some of that band were were in this jazz band just doing a summer season at Colwyn Bay. So he was there. He used to live in a hotel in St Asaph had a girlfriend while he was there Colleen <laughs> and uh, and he, he he was great because um, he was saying it was lovely to come back to North Wales because um, it, it was taking him right back to, to the early 70s it was his pre-fame days and he was uh, he was he was then 
talking about going past all these signs on the tour bus and saying, how do you pronounce Pan Mine now? <laughs> it was hilarious. So somewhere I have a little interview clip of um, Nile Rogers trying to say Llanvarpull and all these place names, which is, um, I must dig that out because yeah. I'm sure that will be gold. Yeah. Um, so in your time at um, BBC Ready One, you must have bumped into quite a lot of, um, you know, big pop stars just unexpectedly, I suppose. You did. It was um, it was a, a really quite exciting time because you would just get used to seeing people around. I used to walk over to um, uh, Radio 2 every day from Radio 1 to take over a mini disc with music news for, for Steve Wright. And you'd quite, I remember passing quite randomly Norman Wisdom, uh, <laughs> Paul McCartney. Oh they, my they, God. they were just waiting outside ready to be interviewed at Radio 2. And then one, one day I'd, I'd just come back from my lunch break, uh, walked into the reception at Radio 1, and there was a very familiar looking guy on the reception having a conversation with the receptionist. Clearly there was a, some confusion and he had this hair like a, a lion's mane. And I thought, that's Daryl Hall, as in <laughs> Hall and Oates, yeah. as a big 80s pop fan. I was like, wow, Daryl Hall. And there was a young girl on the reception, no idea who this guy was. And he turned up ready for a BBC interview. And... Um, uh, and, and so I was overhearing this conversation and, uh, and, and he was, I'm here to be interviewed, ma'am. And so I'm sorry, I've got no, what's your name again? <laughs> and this poor girl had no, no idea. A, a little, the conversation ensued and it turned out he'd gone to the wrong building. Uh. He was due to go to Radio 2 and he turned up to Radio 1. And, uh, and I, I just, I jumped in and I said, um, do you want me to take Daryl round to Radio 2? And she said, yes, if you don't mind. So I had this 10-minute um, walk with Daryl Hall, uh, who was one of my absolute heroes. And I, I'm gutted now that it was an era before camera phones because I'd have been begging him for a selfie. But um, I, I just remember this, this walk then round to Radio 2. He was being interviewed by Steve Wright and just saying... Can't go for that. One of my all-time favourite songs. Thank you, ma'am. She said, I, I loved your Philly sound with John Oakes. Thank you, ma'am. And he, he, he must have spotted I was such a mega fan. Yeah. But it was one of my 10-minute highlights while I was working at, at, at Radio 1. You come back home to Wales and, and made the move from radio into television. Maybe a silly question, but how different is it broadcasting on, on television compared to radio? Yeah, so for me, I had a great time working in London, but uh, I didn't particularly enjoy living there. And Cardiff's a great city, so um, I came back to Cardiff, started working for uh, Wales Today as, a, as a, a news reporter and uh, presenting television news bulletins. And so um, I guess the big difference between TV and radio is radio, you're left on your own a lot of the time. Uh, it's you, and as it, as it was then, the old tech then was a mini disc player. Yeah. And before that, it was a ewer with, uh, with tape. But but um, you, you'd go out and you'd be pretty self-sufficient. You'd come back, you'd edit everything. Whereas television's quite a big team. Okay. And so um, uh, you, you'd, and, and, and you also as well, you had an, I had an awareness, I think, for the first time in my career that um, uh, you, you, you had to worry about how you looked because um, amazingly that, that, um, that suddenly mattered. Yeah. So I had to tidy up my axe a lot. <laughs> you were saying earlier about um, the buzz you felt when you went on stage and danced with uh, Nile Rogers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, can you imagine what this must feel like? And um, you have appeared in a couple of music videos. Um, there's the Bread of Heaven one, which was a rugby theme one with Sean Loy, Boy Clack and Derek. Yes. As well yeah. as one with the GLC. GLC, <laughs> gosh, yes, I'd forgotten about that. Um, it was a children in need one where uh, uh, GLC 
of course their big hit was Guns, Guns Don't Kill People, rap. yeah. rappers do. So they rewrote the lyrics uh, with the news and weather cast that we, we sang with them. Uh, and it was, oh gosh, I have to remember this now. It was uh, weather men don't grill people, weather folk don't grill people, newscasters do. Oh, no. That was, <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? doesn't yeah. quite trip off the tongue. <laughs> That's worse than it? it was well, tenuously. <laughs> but uh, it was it was massive fun. And so uh, we had to dress up in shell suits and rap <laughs> with the GLC, down with the kids, Reese and Eggsy. Really good fun. And I also read that you wanted to publish a book. Is that the case? I guess it's one of those things that, as a, as a writer, you always feel that maybe having a book published is uh, is is something that that you want to want to achieve within your career. So, I was listening to when you were talking to Patrick actually a few yeah. weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, writing comedy with Dicky, yeah. which I was really surprised yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. You know, I'd love I'd, to see. That. I would, I'd, <laughs> I'm thinking Patrick and Nikki writing a comedy that's got to be great, yeah. almost like a Stella Street or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was um, I was listening to that and identifying with it, thinking that when you're young, you have all these dreams of things that, that you want to do. So, uh, and I, I guess the creative process means that um, you you want to do some some writing. So, writing a book, writing a comedy was was an, was another one of my bucket list things. So, uh, so yes, so I do I do weather three days a week, and then um, in in my other time, I'm pursuing writing and uh, occasionally do. A, a radio show and contributions uh, still do music contributions and uh, DJ at the odd silent disco so so yes it's um it's an an itch that needs to be scratched um yeah a couple of nights ago actually um while well, we're talking about music books we put um a twitter thread out which was really interesting about people's favorite um music books Welsh or otherwise what sort of stick out over the years for you i guess um when i when i was a kid uh, back in Llandrindod, immersed in pop music, loving radio. I had a book. It was a very, very simple book, and it was just called Pop Stars. And it was a very, very simple format. They just had a, um, a list of um, name, age, where you were born, first record, favourite pop band, favourite meal. And they'd, they'd done this with maybe about 30 different pop stars. I loved this book as a kid. You just felt like you had a, a little insight into people's lives. I remember reading that Julian Cope talked about growing up in Blackwood and I didn't realise all these these pop stars with Welsh connections. Um, so that that was that was a lovely little book as a kid. I used to love reading um, this is going to sound a bit boring but Guinness Book of British Hit Singles. I think that's where I get my kind of my, yeah. you know recall of 80s number ones from. But um, Dave friend of the pod, yeah. Dave Owens. He wrote a great book in the late 90s. It was uh, Keris, Catatonia and the Rise, Rise of Welsh Pop. Pop. Yeah. Great book. Um, and also actually autobiographies. I've got a lot of music autobiographies. Niall Rogers autobiography, I would recommend to anyone, even if you're not particularly a pop fan, it's the most mind-blowing um, account of his life. He talks of um, uh, being aware um, uh, being aware of his uh, his mother being a, a heroin addict, um, being taken away from his parents, uh, being um, around victims of child abuse, having um, which gave him insomnia for years, and then and then just this incredible music career, working with Bowie, Madonna, Duran Duran, um, being brought back from the dead, just just the most incredible life well lived astonishing that he's still with us yeah. his autobiography is phenomenal phenomenal uh, Chrissy Hines autobiography is great for Christmas my brother gave me Debbie Harry's which I've got to start and actually Derek Brockway just bought 
one for my birthday, the um, latest Andrew Ridgely oh, okay. talking about his life with Wham and his, yeah. his George Michael story. So that's uh, that's on my that's for my next holiday. So, Sue, thank you ever so much for talking to us for your career and, and, as I said, spending time with us today. Um, usually at this time, we ask our guests to, to name their favourite album by a Welsh artist and then we induct it into a, a Welsh Music Hall of Fame. What, what are you choosing tonight? So I'm choosing uh, Fuzzy Logic by Super Furry Animals. Oh, amazing choice. Amazing. Lovely album. Yeah, one of, one of my favourites. And um, I recently had, um, that's a bit of a tangent, but uh, I recently <laughs> had um, an operation on my sinuses. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the recovery room, like absolutely high as a kite on the morphine, <laughs> the nurses were surrounded by bed. And I thought, because I had been reading the book for research before I even, yes, like literally yeah. minutes before I went to the operation. And uh, the nurses were surrounded my bed, and I thought it was the super animals. <laughs> and I actually said to the nurse, hello, Griff. And she had to smack him. Did you tell them afterwards what you were on about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were laughing their heads off. But, um, was that the morphine? Yeah, I didn't ask anything like about, like, you know, Gawel Owens production or anything. There was nothing uh, like that. Yeah, I think I sort of snapped that away, and they didn't really look up from their paperwork. And yeah. But yeah, what a fantastic album, debut album of theirs, and, you know, in the research as well. I've been looking at old videos, pictures, interviews, and. Yes. Um, they all look so young. Oh, they do. But they've obviously been around in bands of, of varying degrees of success for quite a long time. Obviously, Griff and Dav were in Fakofi Paub, who we mentioned earlier. Gitto and Bunth were in Utant. Yes. Gitto also uh, recorded with Catatonia on their first couple of EPs before the the, the Furries uh, formed in 93. And then they released a couple of albums, uh, a couple of EPs, sorry, on, on, on Angst. It wasn't really until they released Ice Hockey Hair that I really got into the band. I think at that sort of time, I was probably listening to bands like Oasis and things like that because I was learning mm. to play guitar and it was a lot the easier. Era, yeah. yeah, and mm. I think Furries was probably a little bit too complicated for my, for my <laughs> beginners sort of things. I think over time, and, and maybe as my musical taste matured, that in my sort of late teens and early 20s that, you know, I sort of maybe appreciated bands like the Furries and the Gorkies a little bit more. And they're probably the, the band I've, I've seen most live, definitely Welsh bands. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. They're great. I've, I've seen them several times live. And uh, actually, when, when you said to me, pick, um, pick your favourite album, with Super Furries, it's, it's really hard. I could have it picked is. actually any one of their albums. Uh, and I almost was tempted to do an Alan Partridge and say, can I say the best, the <laughs> the best, best of, of the Super Furry animals? Because they're such a great singles yeah, band. They are. You just you, you start thinking. So I thought, oh, Fuzzy Logic, great. If you don't want me to destroy you, God show me magic. Something for the weekend. But then I was thinking, oh, but Radiator, Play It Cool. I think Radiator's my favourite, Demons. But I've got a real soft spot for um, Phantom Power as well. Phantom, okay. I love that one, yeah. And then the Gorilla. Yeah, Mung as well. Like such a sort of of like seminal album in the Welsh language. Um, Highest position ever until... Is it Brintervel? Brintervel, later on in that same yes, year. Yeah. And 20 Beat years old this year as well. Yeah, Incredible. 20 years old. There's one for the pod. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> for, After the special. For and and, I, for, and uh, Spadii Haylog as a weather presenter. <laughs> That's fantastic <laughs> for learning all your Welsh weather vocabulary. And of course, then rings around the world as well. Yeah. Gorilla, you had Northern Lights, you know, juxtaposed with you then. So many great singles. And Lovecraft, the album as well, that Lovecraft. was like not named after the, uh, the shop. The shopping cart. Just a little, little way down the road here. Um, yeah, so just to set a bit of context, um, recorded at uh, Rockfield Studios in Monmouth. Um, and Oasis, we were talking about Britpop bands, had just finished uh, Morning Glory there. Um, their label mates and um, released on Alan McGee's record, Creation, were huge at the time. Absolutely. Rockfield as well, set up by Dave Edmonds, referring to in, in the 70s. Yeah. So many 
many great Welsh connections and creation records as well. You know, taking a, a punt on the super furries was, was was fantastic. But yes, so for, for me, um, it's harking back to um, 96. I was working at Radio Maldwin. We were getting a lot of this music coming through and uh, we had to play on the on the Welsh, but we didn't have to play, but we were choosing to play uh, the, the singles when they were coming through. So when God Show Me Magic and Home, Hometown Unicorn was, for the, was the first, wasn't yeah. it, from the album. And then um, uh, you, you'd hear these, these fantastic singles and then and then you you know then going and, and buying the album discovering the album it's this it's the variety i i loved super fairies because i think i identified with them in, in the sense that they felt like they were from small town wales and i i don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all i was um from Sandrindod wells it was a a very quiet place to grow up and then i was aware that the super fairies uh, also felt like they came from these small towns where they had a lot of spare time and maybe experimented a lot with music and yeah. <laughs> other things. But uh, yeah, um, so uh, as far as I'm aware, um, Haverford West, uh, Bethesda, Bangor, Cardiff, Cardiff as well. Yeah. But they had, they, for, for me, they didn't have the sense of coming from a big city or even from a valleys community. And, and I identified with that coming from a town that was known as the Amsterdam of mid Wales when I was, <laughs> when I was growing up. And so, um, they, they, I got the sense of them as a band who had a, a lot of time for, um, uh, experimentation and for drifting off into flights of fantasy, a, a little bit of, almost pop folk psychedelia yeah. uh, and they seem to cover the strange the experimental the absurd um, and it was just so different from a lot of Britpop that, that was going on at the time and um, again Britpop we, we think of uh, of bands of that era and I think just because they were around at that time they maybe got lumped in with it but yeah. <laughs> their sound was nothing like yeah. the rest of people and I think it's aged better you know they probably got pigeonholed under the same sort of cool Cymru and Britpop yeah. band that, that you know they didn't deserve to in some respects but it obviously introduced the band to the masses is an eclectic cocktail of influences like the Beach Boys, Mamas and Papas, to glam rock and, and psychedelia, like like you mentioned. And it is crazy to think that they were sort of labelled with that label in, in hindsight. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they continue to be so unique and so relevant now and prolific as well yes. in their various forms and guises inside projects and, and solo albums. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, um, one, one thing that always strikes me with um, Super Animals is just the endless sort of um, creativity yes. and how inventive they are and yeah. quite different really to what they were um, usually performing, um, sort of recording at Rockfield. I know Griff sort of said, you yes. know, there's a lot of old rock dinosaurs <laughs> recording. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, there's been some absolutely classic stuff recording just on our doorstep, which we don't really sort of appreciate enough, yes. really, like Queen and that sort of thing. But um, a completely sort of different vibe by the time the 90s come around. You had um, Stone Roses and Oasis for, um, at Mono Valley and... Um, Rockfield famously bumping into each other in like W.H. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. you just think, my God, you know. Um, but and like, yeah, with um, Super Free Animals, I, I suppose nothing had really gone to Rockfield. That, like, um, I read that um, Reese Evans, who was a big, um, you know, uh, Super Furries fan. Pal yeah, of the band, yeah. yeah. Singer. 
um, had phoned one of the band and left an answer message where he was off his head on acid and they recorded <laughs> it and it's actually on Fuzzy Logic yeah. which you know you can't imagine that's been at Rockfield before it's, it's crazy they, they did some crazy stuff didn't they I, I guess the one that, that, that people remember is Paul McCartney eating celery, oh, celery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the Rings Around the World, the world was yeah, yeah. I think it was Receptacle for the Respectable wasn't it oh, was, it was the was the song and um, I read somewhere that um, they'd asked um, Brian Harvey to duet on on the album and also as well uh, it was um, Bobby Brown um, and and they they'd turned down the chance to duet with Griff on juxtaposed with you and yet they'd managed to persuade Macca to eat celery yeah. <laughs> you think, wow <laughs> yeah they're definitely not conventional and another way that they show their uniqueness was in the promotion of, of one of the singles um, <laughs> if you don't want me to destroy you and I think I read somewhere that um, Dav suggested to the, to the record label creation that let's not take one of that one of those adverts in enemy that they they understood the cost for why do we buy a tank, buy a tank. instead and then put a, a dj deck and and speakers weld speakers onto the side and then a week later creation bought the tank for 10 grand knowing that they could sell it for eight grand a few weeks later after the festival circuit but yes. yeah yeah drove into the eisted for the yeah. sort of stuff shirt at the they, time they, you know. they used to call it the techno tank techno didn't they tank, yeah. but apparently they used to play techno from this tank and apparently at some festivals more people would turn up and have a rave around the techno yeah. tank than would be watching bands on the smaller stages uh, they sold it to um, don henley from the eagles no. apparently yeah that's who Fantastic. got it so, i don't know if they've still got it don or, henley. yeah boys have Somewhere in a techno tank. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, so we talk about creation, and um, obviously Alan McGee saw them perform at the, the Camden Monarch, and you know he wasn't shy of taking a punt on on a band he's only just seen. Obviously, he did it with Oasis, and but one of the funny things I I, I read was that um, he asked if. Um, if next time or when they were recording that they, they would sing in English mm. rather than Welsh and then Griff sort of said well yeah um, we were we singing were. English <laughs> they, they, because in fairness it, it's not all it's deciphering Super Fairy's lyrics is pretty hard and uh, I, I think they, they played a blinder actually on one of the early pop videos uh, I think it was God Show Me Magic they had them appearing they looked almost like the monkeys with all these multicoloured doors behind them yeah. but then they put the lyrics down with a carry style bouncing yeah, ball yeah, yeah. so you could follow um, I had a soul transplant operation <laughs> and you thought oh great uh, you've, you've got at least a fighting chance of yeah. understanding what Griff's singing well, I think he said as well because obviously the, uh, Fuzzy Logic was the first time that he'd sung in English yeah. and he was like trying out accents and I think listening to a lot of ELO and, 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 <laughs> and, and the move so he had a little bit of a Birmingham accent on something for the weekend but he was trying to settle on what his English, his English language accent would be yeah e ELO is is a good one actually because when when you think you you were saying there that um, super furries have such a unique sound I, I, and I completely agree I can't think of a band that sounds like them and I, I think the the creativity and the going off on on crazy levels and experimentation I guess um, ELO in the seventies had similar levels of that they were almost almost like a nineties indie ELO they're just sort of um, so off the wall but I, I think with them um, the super furries they show sort of real balls at the time in terms of, I think the Welsh music scene especially in the 80s was 
a bit sort of militant, really, in terms of like, um, I know when they went to the Eisted for first of all, it was like, you're not going to sing in English. And I think they may have done some sort of instrumental versions of their but they whistled song. The, yeah. They whistled the English songs. And then yeah. obviously with the next album, then they brought out the international language of screaming, <laughs> yeah. which again, a completely <laughs> bonkers record. And just like, yeah, there's, it's just the universal language of screaming. We're not talking any language. This is inclusive for everyone. But um, yeah, another fantastic record. You talk about experimentation. And I think is um, you have to talk about Gore Owen. The producer, if you know, Griff had worked with him for nine years. He was a musician in himself, so he trusted. And I know they brought an engineer into the recording, but creation to trust a sort of producer they not worked with and, and go well to have the trust in the band because there's not many conventional songs on this album. And you'd imagine that a debut album with a major record label would have probably been sort of, um, you know, restricted, quite restricted. Think, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Gorwell's production is kind of key to the furries yes. sound and probably success in, in some respect. And right place, right time as well, yeah. because you think of the mid nineties, uh, you, you were getting, um, a, a lot of slightly left field bands, a lot of bands pushing the boundaries. And so suddenly you'd see, um, these guys in you know, army jackets appearing on Richard and Judy. Yeah. And you see their videos on Saturday morning telly uh, in a way that I don't think you would now. I think at the time there was a, a lot of um, you know, Britpop for, for all of its um, failings. You had a lot of different kind of bands then. And I think record companies and TV programs were prepared to take a punt on who might be the next Stone Roses, who might be the next Oasis. And so uh, I think on, on in that wave, you got um, bands like Super Fairies appearing accidentally on daytime telly. You know? <laughs> Another thing that um, I think that they going to Rockfield probably gave them was something they weren't used to, that they were recording in Galwell's home studio and that the rawness and the speed of being able mm. to do that wasn't as sort of accessible to them in, in a big studio. The mixing desk itself had, I think, 48 channels. And apparently yeah, so 40 like... 40 foot long. Really 40 <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one channel for the celery noise, one for the carrots. You know. There's, a, there's a, a sort of small documentary, I think Rick Rawlins actually directed or produced it called Soul Transplant Operation. And there's a little mm. sort of uh, little anecdotes about the making of, of, of the album. And they said that the channel 23 on the mixing desk was just like haunted for want of a better <laughs> word. And, you know, it wouldn't work or it would go in and out. And, and then while Gorwell was um, talking to Griff about it, getting frustrated about it, Griff was looking to the to the ceiling and counting the wooden beams and it was 23 of them and then he just sort of freaked out about it and then um i think the the name of the album actually came from something that happened uh, that night when they were recording and saw like these electric sparks outside of their window oh, really? and thinking it was some sort of like i don't know alien invasion or something <laughs> and and then gorwell going oh my god it's the 23rd day of the month and thinking it was like cursed but what they realized the next day was that a swan had flown into the power lane uh, <laughs> outside of the studio and then they celebrated that in a, in a song they recorded the next day fuzzy birds which then in turn become fuzzy logic that came from fuzzy birds and the, the funny thing is i think a lot of those bands as well they used to come to rockfield to escape it was where they could come away from the big city come away from the distractions and really concentrate on on making yeah. the music whereas i think for the super furries it was exchanging one part of wales for another yeah. it was at well, one um, of those yeah I, I, I think places. that's where sort of gorwell owen found it a bit frustrating stuff with because when they were up in his studio in north wales if they wanted to record a drum track they would just go out in the back garden and do that sort of thing and they were used 
used to live in um, in the van on pot noodles. Yeah. All of a sudden, they go to Rockfield, endless amounts of food, luxurious jacuzzis yes. and beds. And I think he sort of thought that they were getting a bit sort of indulgent and like, you know, we're here to work at the end of the day. So <laughs> I, I think Gorwell was a great um, sort of like um, authority figure to an extent, you know, that, to get these boys who were wide-eyed with excitement just sort yeah. of concentrate on the task at hand. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess another thing of, of going into a bigger studio was the ability to experiment with other instruments that maybe they, they would not have done you know they found a Fender Rhodes I think in, in the corner of the studio which um, they used uh, on Ice Hockey Air which, which I think was one of the sessions there and it's become a distinctive part of their sound and they also used the Ballet Laca I think it's called um, on uh, Haunting Stripped Back Song Gathering Moss so there was um, definitely a an advantage of going to a bigger studio as well and and they loved a sample didn't they the yeah. Super Furries one of the things I'm really grateful to the Super Furries for was uh, introducing me to Steely Dan okay. um, but who are now one of my favourite bands who I've seen a few times live as well but um, my introduction to Steely Dan sort of 70s um, jazz rock very highly regarded musicians was through the one sweary line that was taken and used on The Man Don't Giver. You yeah. know. Um, sorry, you can tell on BBC. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm institutionalised into not saying the full name of the song. But uh, uh, yeah, so um, uh, Showbiz Kids um, by Steely Dan, they sampled and then I went to listen to that, listen to all the back catalogue. And uh, you can see um, all the Super Furries influences, how, uh, you, you know, they, they like you say the Beach Boys and DLO and uh, Steely Dan and uh, they, they've just got such a, a wide variety of, of musicians who they were clearly instantly influenced by and you can hear that in their sound because it's so multi-layered it's so much more than a lot of those three chord Britpop bands. And, and, yeah, and, and that song has absolutely taken on a life of its own. Yes. It goes on for about 25 minutes of gigs <laughs> now. It's got like this big sort of section where basically where they get into the Yeti suits. But it's, it's reminiscent of the time when they were in the tanks just, you know, sort of doing the... Um, techno. The techno The, the techno tent, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think as well, it's become a real festival favourite, you know, when you've got, you know, 20,000 people shouting that line over and over. And I was thinking, wow, Steely Dan, I've no idea of this. I went to listen to the song. It's, it's played one is a little throwaway line in the song and as far as I'm aware Steely Dan haven't done anything so sweary and el else in their career Appa but so. apparently it's the uh, second most amount of F-words in a song ever yeah. because I do remember on the single you had the Cardiff yes, City footballer Robin Friday Robin yeah, Friday and, um, and, and it was it was creation records you had, had to put a you know explicit lyrics yeah. sticker on it and they were almost shouting about the, be aware this is uh, 50 times in this <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was almost like they were something like they were advertising the facts. We were actually tagged into a really interesting thread today that Dave Owens, a friend of the pod, instigated with a, with a post about a, a, a lineup at the arena. I think it was a Smash Hits tour '96, and it was like Peter Andre oh, and I Super think Furry I saw Animals. This. And was stuff it like a that. Smash Hits party it tour? Was, or it was, something. yeah. And, and Ellis James, the comedian, talked about um, Super Furry's documentary that was on S4C called Poptastic, and Griff sort of like doing an interview with um, I think Johnny Cigarettes for Fox and, and then he's talking about like oh you know that his love for for pop he's so matter of fact and he and he's trying to think of the words because obviously he's Welsh language first language and he's like yeah. Betty to the guys in the back and they're like oh deny it. and he's like yeah no I can't deny it I'm really interested in, in pop music and it's such a like 
a perfect sort of refreshing humble honest sort of thing that he's like absolutely interested in pop music and that's what they're trying to achieve pop music to the masses and then I guess like that leads us into a bit of a conversation about the, the Welsh language and there was a bit of a furore around them not singing in Welsh and this was being their English language but you know as he said that they've probably released six or seven yes. albums between them yes. in the Welsh language and it was something they wanted to try something different and I think as well they were the, even though they appear shambolic in, in, in the nicest sense of the word and creative and unconventional they clearly had ambitions yeah, exactly. and so by singing in English if it gets you noticed uh, do the thing that gets you noticed and then when you, whenever you've got that level of interest in you you can uh, go back and revisit the Welsh language which of course they so did they with, with yeah. Mung and, and were hugely successful and I think even it. in their record contract that they signed a six, six record uh, deal with Creation <laughs> and Sony who yes. owned 50% <laughs> of Creation that they were allowed to, 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 to release a record in, in, in Welsh if they wanted to what can you remember about that sort of outcry at the time I wonder almost if, if, it, if it was slightly manufactured because I think in fairness anyone who knows the band and who knows their output I remember being a teenager listening to John Peel playing um, I think it was Athlan Oven and, um, and him saying far coffee power and laughing about how it, how it yeah. sounded if, uh, if English, you said it quickly yeah. and said, it means coffee beans for everyone in Welsh <laughs> but um, uh, I, I th- anyone who knew their background would know how much Welsh language material they've released uh, and and. I don't think would really give them much stick because I I think uh, if you're a fan, you'd just be really glad to see them being successful. Yeah. And I I think as well, like another sort of from the very start of their career just sort of showed how unconventional they were and and how sort of prepared they were to send themselves up in terms of their debut EP in 1995. Deep breath. Open brackets, in space, close brackets. Fantastic. I think I've got a copy of Noel Rogers saying that. Oh, amazing. Yeah, they they were brilliant. Such a sense of fun about them. So unconventional I think I think that's one of the things that, that I love about them because really they are incredibly talented guys who by rights should be massive um, but who you I, I think your gut instinct knew that they never really would be absolutely mainstream because they were too reluctant mm. to to play the game. They wanted to play their own game. Yeah, I think they got, you know, offered multiple sort of um, Levi's commercials, <laughs> yeah. things Huge. like that. And then they were like, not really no, interested. And, no. and so unassuming as well. And like, you know, my daughter's a massive fan of, of, the, of the song Frontier Man. Uh-huh. And we sing it on the way to school. And <laughs> we were singing it on the way to school. I dropped her off there and then I, I cycled into work and I was continuing to sing it because it was so catchy and in my head. And as I was singing, I was walking past Griff Reese outside the library in town. <laughs> I was going, oh, I hope he didn't hear me sing that. <laughs> but he had these big headphones on, so luckily he didn't. I, I would have preferred it if, he, if my daughter was singing in front of him. <laughs> so unassuming, so humble, so normal. Yes, I wonder as well if that's uh, the, the, the Welsh influence, because I think the the common thread between a lot of the, the, the pop stars that you've been talking about uh, on the pod, uh, the Manics and the Stereophonics and the Superphrase and Catatonia, the, their Welshness is clearly really important to them. It's something that they feel very strongly about. And I, th- I think with that identity, there's never this huge ego in the sense that, um, uh, that you, they, you never get the sense that they felt that they were entitled to be megastars. They all, they all come across as um, having a, a huge amount of gratitude for that the, the they've made it. 
uh, as musicians. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, um, the Manics were always a, a sort of bit disparaging about where they came from in their early days. And um, it wasn't until sort of Design for Life, which is sort of ultimate well song, really, that they sort of started being a bit more proud of their roots and that sort of thing. But it was sort of symptomatic at the times that, that you couldn't really be that big if you were Welsh. Do you yes, mean? yes. And um, I remember um, going to a talk with James actually at, at the Hay Festival a few years ago and um, he said that when they went to London, first of all, and they were like, oh, we're going to make it big in the big city. And there was this old bloke living next door to them. They're all in their rucksacks going to London. And the old bloke on the doorstep says, the valleys won't let you go. You'll be back in no time. Oh and, and, and all of them live, I, I think, I think no, maybe Sean lives in Bristol. But yeah, obviously, Nicky and uh, James. And yeah, as you're saying, a lot of the acts have really come back yeah. home. Yeah. But James, again, is one of those people who you see around and uh, yeah, yeah. You, you see him walking his dog. And you have to be respectful. You don't want to sort of name, you, you, you know, where you've seen where you've seen these guys because it's lovely that they yeah. feel that they can live here and, and, and move around. Uh, I've interviewed James a few times. And uh, I remember being at Paddington Station one time and just getting on a train that was coming in from, from Cardiff and he was just getting off it. And my my instinct when I saw him, because you, you see, but you know they're familiar and you forget you don't really know yeah. them, but you feel like you do. So, uh, I, hi, hi, James. Um, and, and a really silly thing to say, but I said... Um, I'm really surprised to see you travelling on a train. <laughs> he looked at me and he says, it's not all chauffeured limos, you know. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah, it's that sort of, um, they, 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 they were a band who liked to keep it real, the Manics. Oh, yeah. so. One of the threads we, we've sort of explored with, with the podcast in, you know, in, his, in his infancy is the, the sort of concept of, of Welsh identity. And it means something very different to everybody. And all of the bands that we talked about, we talked to Patrick Jones about the alarm and, you know, how they were the first Welsh band that he remembered, but their Welsh identity wasn't about being flag waving and stuff mm. like that. And, you know, Welsh language and, and these sort of things. Everyone's got a different take about it. And obviously the issues that the furries faced in, in their early incarnation around English and Welsh language um, is very sort of disappointing in some respects because Griff's obviously such a very passionate about the Welsh language and, and he talks about safeguarding and we talked about Hmong and, and these sort of things but it is something that they, they tried to to overcome in terms of that sort of Anglo-American thing but people like Reese Moyne had sort of already done that and you, should, yes, you know they yeah. knocked through those sort of doors that we, we talked about that existed in the 80s with, with Dave Owens and things like that so it, it really shouldn't have been an issue It shouldn't, no, because like you say Reese and, and a lot of those bands had, had done the groundwork and so it, it had made it easy for the um, Cool Cymru is such an easy label. You don't like saying it because the Catatonia, Stereophonics, Manix, Superfresh all sound very different. Exactly. But it was, but it was, it was a great label, I think, ultimately, because um, it made them be noticed. It was their platform to be heard. Uh, and, and, and really, if, big picture, if it got those bands airplay and coverage and gave them a fabulous music career, then I think don't knock it. Yeah, I, I think that's something that's been really endearing to me um, for Super Free Animals. There was no sort of um, snobbishness about like, we can speak the Welsh language and, you know, maybe you can't and that sort of thing. And um, reading uh, Rick Rawlins' book in the week and he was saying about um, the Super Furries were in... Um, the Club Iverbach in, um, I think it's about 94, 95. And at the time, it was a lot more strict. You had to actually speak Welsh, maybe have a car yeah. to get in and mm. that sort of thing. At the end of the night, they played the national anthem and the Super Furries actually sat down. They're like, we're not having any part of this because it's, it's so excluding. So, you know, it's, it's just so celebrating the fact that it's only Welsh language people who can maybe sort of sing this song and that sort of thing. There's something about the Super Furries that 
you feel that they've always stayed true to themselves. Uh, they, they've never sold out. I think it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that, that, that I love them because uh, they, they're always surprising. On, on Fuzzy Log Logic, you, you know, I think the first time I heard it, you start um, hearing songs like, like, like we mentioned, Fuzzy Birds and uh, Hometown Unicorn, and, and you think, oh, these guys are a bit experimental, a bit, <laughs> oh, you know, a, a bit off. And then they bang in with, um, if you don't want me to destroy you. Yeah. And it's just the most majestic pop single that I, I still regularly listen to now, yeah. sort of, gosh, 20, however many years on, 24 years on. They're one of those bands that I think it's it's very easy to underestimate. And I get the sense that they like it like that. That yeah. they they know how good they are. Well, they I don't think... they don't need other people to 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 to, to, to sorry, I'm trying to think of the word. They they don't they don't need other other people to, to, to verify that. No, definitely. And I think there's also like a sense of um cheekiness, for yes. want of a better word, in, in there and when you're doing a bit of the research and stuff and listening to old interviews, you're sort of like, are they telling the truth? or not and then you sort of hear it in another source like Rick Rawlins's book and, and you sort of guess well yeah they, they, they were you know we've got the, the CD in front of us and amazing track listing there's not a dud on there no. and like we talked about Britpop and Oasis and I, I love Oasis I love the first two albums but it's not a 100% record for me there's there's duds on both the first two albums, but on this one, there's definitely not. But you can't, you can't start to talk about the album without talking about the the design and Brian <laughs> Brian Cannon, uh, uh, another Oasis creation, Micro Dot, um, yeah. graphic designer who directed uh, a couple of videos as well for, for the furries. Used the 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 sort of passport photographs of Howard Marks. Of Howard Marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th there's a there's a great Bowie quote where he said um, that don't play to the gallery. Uh, and, and it was always, you know, try to it always try to keep his artistic integrity, and I think that that will be Bowie's legacy. I think you can say the same of the Super Furries. I don't think uh, many people would have necessarily known who uh, Howard Marks. No. Sorry, sorry. Can I say that again? Yes, um, I don't think maybe putting Howard Marks on the cover uh, would have been seen as a great. Uh, marketing move, no. given uh, the, um, the 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 high-profile court case dealing with cannabis, subsequent jailing. Um, when they were never a band to play it safe, and um, uh, I I can't help admiring them for that. They they don't make it easy for themselves. No, and I think like you know when Howard Marks released Mr. Nice, the book, <laughs> the autobiography, it was I think 1996, a little bit later than than the album. So it wasn't if that. You know, they were jumping on that sort of fame or, or infamy, yeah, for want of a better word. And, you know, I think that Creation also saw that as an opportunity when the album was released that they could sort of get the guys together in some way and, and sent over some demos to them. And obviously there's a there's a track on there hanging with, with Howard Marks. Mm. And then believe that there was a show in Ponty Pre. Ponty Town Hall, yeah. Yeah, and in the Town Hall. And, and Howard Marks requested um, not a plus one, but a plus ten. <laughs> and that was the first time that they they, they, they met him. And, and, then, and apparently showed up, I don't know whether this is an urban legend, in the same clothes he was incarcerated in in 1988. <laughs> really? Which was a, cape. a, a red Michael Jackson-style coat. <laughs> Leather trousers and a black cape. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm I'm just envisaging Bo Selector now. And it was the first time I think that that uh, Reese Evans had, had met him as well. And I think he said that night that I'm going to play you in a movie, play your life in in a movie. And he, and he obviously did, did. in Mr. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you know, starts off with God Show Me Magic. 
cracking tune, cracking oh, opener. Yeah, and um, I, th- I think that's got uh, Reese Evans' uh, cameo introducing it in the video. Oh, yeah. yeah yes, yeah. yeah it has um, been. These crazy guys. But yeah, you, you, you couldn't think of someone so sort of off the wall as Reese Evans to have as an affiliate of the band, you know, completely fit in with it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... Um, mentions of like sort of uh little sort of like cult sort of rebel heroes really there's you know reese evans and uh, there's bill hicks um i think there's a what was the one um frank fontaine the guy yes, <laughs> the guy who got yeah. abducted by aliens and was yeah. found in a cabbage patch and then like a month later he was eating his chips he's like oh i got you abducted by ufos it was like patrick was saying to you recently there's just a huge crossover between music art comedy film and so i i I guess it all. Um, but what, what, what were you were saying there with um, David Bowie about you know don't ever play to the gallery, always try and give the true fans something um, you know that they'll really treasure and take home with them. I kind of love the Superfuries even more for the fact that they aren't huge. They yes, they are still slightly yeah. underground, and it's a little feels like it's mine. And I know that feels a bit selfish, but but for instance, like I remember um, I loved the first two Kings of Leon albums. Yeah, mm. and then overnight they seemed to become these sexy sort of guys out of like some perfume yeah. ads. They were they were huge, weren't they? And it was yeah, sex on fire. Everyone yeah. singing "Sex on Fire" in yeah. ten feet tall and stuff. Like, you know, yeah. I don't really like this anymore. But, you know. yeah. Go back to Molly's chamber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah when they were farmer boys. I know. I, I, like this is going to sound awful now, but I remember going to Glastonbury sort of before they released the album, and they were playing in the new band's tent before it became the John Peel tent, and we were really looking forward to see him. And, and Noel Gallagher was there as well sort of thing and it was like this is our band not yours and oh and then we don't want them to become big because we don't want everyone to have them we want them and that's a terrible thing to do because music should be inclusive but yeah i get i know and i think they did like a really sort of cynical thing i think they purposely went that direction that we know we're going to go huge here Mm -hmm. but um oh i don't know their first two albums were great as well yeah yeah and yeah, as I was saying about um, Reese Evans, another recurring sort of theme where he pops up again um, is Bad Behaviour, which was famously the end credits of Twin Town. Yes, yeah. And, and actually, I think one of my favourite random facts about the album is that um, as a Weather presenter, Sean Lloyd Weather presenter gets a name oh, check yeah. <laughs> on uh, For Now and Ever. Yeah. That's so, a claim uh, to fame. And in the, uh, the, the inlay as well is uh, TV Weather Girl. <laughs> There's hope for me yet. (laughs) (laughs) And that ties in nicely another one of my favourite tracks, Mario Man. Um, I know he's not the um, album artwork for this album, but obviously Pete Fowler did most of the subsequent albums. And um, I I saw in Rick Rowling's book that he said that um, he always imagined the artworks as being like a sort of landscape in Mario, where you would see like a mountain in the distance with a pair of eyes and everything wasn't quite what it seemed and that sort of thing. But his his artworks, it's instantly recognisable as superiority. Yeah. It completely adds to their mystique. It, it is, and they had the um, the giant hamster, didn't they? After oh, the yeah. techno tank, it was the the Pete Fowler hamster. I think it was from the cover of Radiator, wasn't it? Yes. And then that that was what they then took as their next promotional tool. You know? I, th- I think because obviously with Radiator, it was he was looking in his reflection in the window, and he was like the devil compared to the angels. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And I think they did a festival in Cardiff where they had them either side of the stage. And then but 
the, broke. The, the good one, yeah. the good one got a hole yeah. in his knee and it fell to the side. Yeah. And everyone was cheering yeah. to the bad yeah. one. Yeah. It's like good cop, bad cop. Yeah. They were looking to buy to sort of you know ten foot, twenty foot sort of representations of, of those characters, and then the uh, the company that they were using was saying, "Well, you can get hundred foot ones for the same sort of price." We're like, "Well, let's have those, mate." Come on. <laughs> You're talking about the Mario connections. So I think one of the videos, I think it's Play It Cool, has them playing oh, computer God, games yes. yeah. and uh, a football computer game, and then of course, yeah, uh, they got bombed. part of it. Yeah, actual so, soccer. Yeah, but they, yeah. they 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 got asked if they wanted to be a team on there, but obviously there's only five of them, and then they needed to make up the other six, and they had like. Um, Yes, um, the, the, the band were delighted to be part of it because they were huge fans of the game, Actual Soccer 2, I think it was. And you could put in this like obscure, you know, like not obscure, uh, in, intricate cheat code to yeah. like get them. But they didn't tell them that they were teammates with like Hitler and Stalin. <laughs> oh, and all. No. Oh, gosh. But weren't they, That's so super furry. Weren't they um, sponsored for Cardiff City for a very brief time. Yeah, they did. Yes, they had, um, that's ringing a bell. Yeah, they had, the uh, there was a, yeah, I saw a photograph of the Cardiff City team wearing, it was like um, a, a shirt with, with, with laces on the collar yes. and mm. and then there's a team photo and there's, I think the band are in the team photo because there's like five characters at the background as well. Wasn't it during a time when like a sponsorship deal had lapsed and another one was about to start and they oh, had come think, in or something no, like they that? Were, um, they were sponsoring the, the team during... Uh, the Welsh Cup it was only for ah, a specific right competition yeah. Right. Yep. yeah they're a funny band aren't they because while they wouldn't play the game their own little marketing tools were incredible yeah. and incredibly powerful and so memorable because they, they, because they were unique and of course they went on to do the um, uh, when, when Wales got through to the uh, Euro finals in 2016 oh, yeah. they did the Bing song bong. didn't they Bing, Bing Bong, bong. Yeah. Yeah. I love do you know I love the fact that the Manics did the official one yeah. Together Stronger and then Super Fairies will do one. What's yours called, Super Fairies? Bing, Bing Bong. Yeah. <laughs> it, says, it says everything about the I don't the think you had any sort of lyrics to football or anything. <laughs> but no, no, but the video was amazing because it was like literally just them doing keep-ups, but it was obviously repeated video footage <laughs> and it, was like, it looked like they were keeping up for ages, but yeah, it's just a quality video. Yeah, it had a spirit of 58 vibe with the colours, didn't it? It was like yeah. a psychedelic version of that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were saying about, um, you know, what sort of amazing sort of marketing techniques and the like genius and... Um, Obviously, you've encountered them over the years. And does that uh, humour really shine through in their interviews? Uh, it, it does, actually. The, the super, I, I have interviewed the Super Fairies a few times. I think um, my first ever Super Fairies interview was also possibly the worst interview I've ever done. They, um, they came into Radio 1. It was the Rings Around the World uh, promotion. And um, uh, all of them came in. So I suddenly realised that uh, we, we sat in studio, we had uh, BBC mixing desk, we had the best sound quality, but um, I realised as I was doing the interview, I had five guys all talking over each other, couldn't work out who was who, listening back to this interview thinking, whoa, this, this, is, this is a shambles, all I really need is one 20 second sound yeah. mic. And I was soundbite, and I've got uh, 10 minutes of, uh, of the Super Furries all having in-jokes all over one another. I remember then um, going back and having to, w with every interview that we did, we had to, we used to have to come back and, and clip the interviews up and talk about, uh, write a couple of links with an interview clip. And I remember coming back to my boss, who um, some fans may remember if you listened to Radio 1 in the late 80s, early 90s, Rod McKenzie used to read the, the news on Simon Mayo's breakfast show. He was the head of Newsbeat. And I remember him coming back to me and saying, you had 10, 15 minutes with this band and you've only got one 
15 second clip about Paul McCartney eating celery um, yes I'm afraid that's that's all I've got it was a good lesson though in, in, in interviewing for me because uh, from then on I always thought right you never interview more than two people at one time yeah. on radio if you want it to make sense always know exactly who is saying what so you can refer it back and I've interviewed them a few times since had a lovely chat with them at uh, festival number six a couple of years ago when they were when they were headlining that and um, they they are a great band but that's it you know one of the the thing that I love about them again is that they don't play the game so the thing that was exasperating for me on a professional level is also just one of the things that uh, I admire about the band I think that mischievousness um, goes back to even sort of Griff's uh, childhood you know when he was in uh, Pembrokeshire and um, apparently I don't know whether this is right Pembrokeshire is the European capital for UFO sightings <laughs> and he used to like just throw like cake lids and like silver lids up in the air and take pictures and he would get in the paper and that sort of thing and um yeah it sort of reminded me of um uh, Sean Ryder's book on UFOs where like again probably under the influence of stuff where he's seen like loads and loads of different UFO sightings and you just think They've had, like, similar with the Happy Mondays, they've always had that sort of mischievous uh, streak. And it's like, if you took that away, they just wouldn't be the same band. Yes. I I read as well that um, uh, part of the Howard Marks attraction was that while he was this... Uh, cannabis dealer that previous to, prior to that he'd um, he'd got a degree in physics was from Oxford, Oxford University yeah. and you, you know clearly super furries they play the fool but they're clearly quite an academic band who um, you know think on a, on a different plane to, to a lot of people and um, the album closes with a perfect choice really in terms of like it, obviously it starts with God Show Me Magic so it's the absolute urgency and immediacy of that and then um it finishes with For Now and Ever, which begins with um, the line, it's been a funny kind of day. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it always reminds me whenever I uh, hear it, it, it's perfect to the last tracks. It, it feels to me like the end credits are coming down. Yes. It's like, you know, we've been on an adventure together and this is it now, time to go home, you know. And it's quite a roller coaster of an album because you hear the punk influences, you hear the Beach Boys, you, you hear um, a lot of the experimentation, but you hear those quiet moments as well, almost uh, the sort of the, the Welsh pastoral uh, folk traditions, which uh, clearly the, the super fairies were brought up with. So Sue, we know it's quite a difficult ask to say what is your favourite album of a Welsh artist and you've obviously <laughs> chosen an album that um and is 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 a fantastic introducer to a lot of people of, of, of the band. What other albums sort of went through your mind when we when we asked you that very difficult question? Gosh, so many. I, I think it could have been any one of those super fairies because you start thinking of maybe two or three singles that you like from an album and uh, it could have been Gorilla, it could have been Radiator. Um I think the man uh, I'm surprised actually that no one's no. picked Everything Must oh, Go that's, yet that, that because pick, yeah. that's got to be one of the most success, successful Welsh albums ever and actually it was talking about having a, a tough time interviewing um, the Super Furries uh, the Mannix were always the easiest band to interview <laughs> because they, they, they had that very clear mission statement they knew exactly wanted to, what they wanted to say they were in, in control of how they came across and uh, James always has always done some brilliant interviews and uh, he he he's oh, they've always got some a different take on things one of my favorite interviews ever with James was actually done on um, uh, BBC Radio Wales by the late Alan Thompson and uh, the Mannix had been supporting Paul McCartney at the yeah. stadium I went back, yeah. and it was a brilliant gig wasn't it it was joy formidable as well and uh, and 
James uh, had a chat with Alan about how he'd been to Macca's dressing room beforehand and I was really excited to meet um, the legend that was Paul McCartney and the first thing he thought to say was I was a massive fan of Pipes of Peace (laughs) and Macca turned and said to him are you taking the piss? <laughs> They've done an interview together about that album in recent years. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to say when I see Macca, if I do see Macca, I love you when you chew celery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it won't be I love the frog chorus. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> Sue, thank you ever so much for your time today. Pleasure. We really appreciate your time and your constant support of, of, of the podcast. And, and a big thank you to you guys for promoting uh, Welsh music and culture and you're doing such a great job of it. Well, thank you. Dioch. To finish this week, we got uh, a brand new single, great tune from Surreal Kinnock, a brilliant name for a band, and uh, it's produced by Daft and the Super Free Animals, and it's on Strange Town Records. Um, their last single was a uh, great uh, tune, actually, really cool, um, called Bipolarism. That track is going to be on uh, their forthcoming Clean Living EP, and this one is too. It's called Morning Jazz. Morning Jazz. 